Hello and welcome to another episode of Radio Oedipus, the podcast all about the culture of beer, and I'm your host, Danny Walker. This is episode number 15. A huge thank you to those of you who have been following the show so far. We are available by searching Radio Oedipus on your podcast app. You can also check out some extra content we have online by heading to our website, oedipus.com forward slash radio. There you'll find all previous episodes as well as some guest mixes made by our favourite local DJs and are recorded live in our tap room. On to today's show, I was joined by Victor Brangolo, lead designer here at Udipus, and our guest was Charlotte Jungian, co-founder of Klabu Foundation. Klabu is a unique modern charity based here in Amsterdam that raises money to open sports halls in refugee camps by selling very cool and unique football shirts. Charlotte was very open and enthusiastic, and we learned all about how Klabu came to be. We also challenge Charlotte's knowledge with the quiz we call Liz Pratt to find out what's inside her fridge. All that on today's show of Radio Oedipus. Around the table today, I'm joined by my trusted co-host, Victor Brangolo, the artist and person responsible for all the designs here at Oedipus. How are you doing, mate? I'm doing great, Danny. Thank you. And I'm really happy to be back and uh, to discuss with uh, the... The new person, uh, a lot of new things. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so our guest on around the table today is Charlotte Jungian, co-founder of the Klabu Foundation. How are you doing today? I'm great, thanks. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you here. And I was going to, I always introduce kind of what the person uh, does, but I think it's best that you maybe give a little explanation about what Klabu is. I could have a go, but I think it might be better coming from you, all right? Yeah, sure. Do you want to explain a little bit about the Klabu Foundation? Sounds good. So Klabu is really the sports brand that unlocks sport for the overlooked. That's how we like to phrase it. Basically, that means, you know, we're all about making sport accessible to people who need it most, but who also have the least access to it. And these are, in fact, refugees. And a lot of those refugees live in refugee camps. So Klabu is all about how can we bring sports to these people in a structural way And how can we also build bridges between what's happening in these refugee camps and the people here, people in Holland, New York, London, people who live in freedom, young people who love sports Mm -hmm. and who also want to do something good with their money. So we've really created a a brand and a company around that. Mm. Um, And it's been a journey. We've been on that journey already for three years. Awesome. Can't believe it's been that long. It makes me feel really old. But uh, yeah, it's uh, we're heading into a new chapter and it's a really exciting ride to be on. Yeah. So I, I first became aware with you guys by seeing these uh, really colourful football shirts around Amsterdam and being like, what? I've never heard of that football team before. <laughs> who, who are they? So yeah, just in short to people that are listening, Klabu make uh, really beautiful football shirts and raise money for refugee camps, if, if you don't mind me just summarising a little bit. Uh, and yeah, so it, football shirts, how did, how did uh, that come about in terms of for Klabu? Uh-huh. So it's more than just a football shirt. We also do full kits and we have shorts and we do backpacks and T-shirts. And actually the new collection, which is launching in September, will be even broader and have yoga pants and tops and sweats and like all sorts of really cool swag wear for street and for on the pitch. Um, And the idea behind the brand is really how can we not be a charity that has to hold out their hand every time we want to do something and build something? So every time we want to build a new clubhouse in a refugee camp, we want to be able to do that ourselves and also for there to be a direct link between 
you buying yourself an awesome piece of Klaabu uh, apparel and actually what does that represent in unlocking sports for a refugee? So we've done all the math on that. That's all going to be very clear and evident in kind of the new website that's launching as well in September of this direct link between you, the consumer, and the members of the Klaabu Club in Kenya. You know, the next one is going to be also on the African continent in a different country. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're moving into Asia and we hope one day to be global. So the real idea is the brand is the badge of honor. It's really the, the symbol right, of your yeah. support. The prize symbol of each club yeah, as well, yeah. As well, exactly. But it's just a really great way for people to spend their money in a way that is impactful, truly impactful. And it's also a brand that people can really relate to. So like you said, it's beautiful and cool because if you make something that people don't want to have, you know, you're not going to have the impact that you want to have. So that's why we have these designers on board who design really amazing looking sportswear. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I was playing tennis in my club shirt yesterday and like three guys come up to me, oh, that's such a cool shirt. I really like that shirt. And I'm like, yeah, they like it because it's a cool shirt. Mm-hmm. And then when they hear the story, they're like, oh, sold. Pretty sure I sold three shirts yesterday. Nice. Well, well done. Well played. (laughs) And just to bring it a bit back to beer, I wanted to maybe ask you straight away, how how aware of you are you of beer? Are you a beer drinker? Do you not drink beer? I love beer. Love beer. All right, cool. Yeah. I worked in advertising, so... Yeah. Why does that you, need a lot of beer? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you have to just, advertise to breweries. You've been close to beer a lot. I've been close to beer in my life, okay. I would say, yes. All right, nice. And I do love Oedipus beer. I know that's... Uh, you know, easy win okay, sitting in cool. an Oedipus brewery. But. Yeah, well, we'll get on to uh, drinking some Oedipus beer, but I think that's a, maybe a perfect segue into the first part of the show where, uh, like I was saying just before we started recording, we have a, always drink a beer together before getting into the interview with the guest. And uh, Victor, if you wouldn't mind uh, cracking open the beer while yeah. I get a little introduction. Today's beer is called, uh, well, it might have to help me with the pronunciation here when you see the bottle, but Hemve. 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 And oh, the like be- homesickness. Yeah, so the beer is by Naval Artisan Ales. You're a Dutch speaker, right, Yeah, Charlotte? so this means homesick. Homesick. Okay, all right. So Hemve is by Naval Artisan Ales from Nijmegen. And the beer is a collab with Kemba Culture, which is a German brewery. Now, Naval are known for, uh, have you ever heard of Naval Artisan Ales before? So Naval, to do a bit of translation, okay, uh, yeah. means mist. Yeah. But I have not heard of them as a brewery. Just All as right. a, yeah. So Naval, cool. Naval are really, really cool. Uh, they are known for making wild beers uh, using uh, local ingredients like herbs, fruit, and even oh, nice. things like tree bark and vegetables and things. They, they're in Nijmegen and they always try and use different produce from the Gelderland uh, area. We actually are very familiar with uh, Naval as I had uh, their head brewer and the co-founder, Matthias, on the show. Mm. He's actually on the leaderboard, if you see. He's been knocked off the top of the leaderboard. See that. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> so... Some of their beers are, and they even say this on their website, that some of their beers are often challenging in uh, in taste, but often refreshing, low alcohol. Uh, this one's 5.5%, if I remember. Uh, yes, it's 5.5. Yeah. And uh, I think what's an interesting aspect of that beer is when you look at the ingredients, they actually name the ingredients. Is that unusual for a beer brand well, to do that? not Every beer brand would say the type of the name of the wheat they are using. Oh. They call it Hilario wheat. Yeah, and then this they is... have Ebner Rotkorn spelt, and then Sint Jans rye and Opal plums. I think that's sort of a uh, 
Very so transparent. You, yeah, and they want to really uh, respect the product, probably. Yeah, so, nice. and, and like I said, it was a wild beer, and a wild beer is usually something that uh, uses some form of wild yeast, usually something like Brettanomyces, the sour uh, the yeast that often adds the sour flavor to beer. I'm learning so much today. Yeah, great. What do you think about the label since you were into beer before? I think it's almost wine-esque. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The label is very clean, very kind of sophisticated. I feel like it's almost a bit minimalist. Yeah. Um, yeah, it reminds me of a vineyard. Mm. Yeah. And I really what like this do you think of this name, which is Homesick? It is quite a beautiful name, actually. Very poetic. Yeah. I, I think the label sh- wow. shape for me reminds me of hills or sand dunes. And and hills, yeah. uh, the whole of the Netherlands is usually quite flat, right? And oh, Na- Nijmegen, Nijmegen has, has hills. Because yeah. I've run them. I've done that <laughs> oh, yeah? horrible running race. <laughs> nice. The seven hills of Nijmegen. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's count them. One, two, three, four. Oh, four. oh that would have been, that that been, been pretty remarkable if they had. That would have been cool. But yeah, this, just a bit more of a background on the beer because it's a collab, like I said, with Kemba Culture, who are a brewery from Munster in Germany. And from doing a bit of research, I wasn't a very aware of uh, I wasn't very aware of them. But they also have a very similar beer profile to uh, Naval. They uh, make a lot of hot, a lot of hot his, uh, historic beers. It says on their website, mm-hmm. so they use a lot of like original ingredients that maybe they've found old brewing uh, They're kind manuals of trying and to things. safeguard these old recipes from disappearing. Yeah, something like That's that. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So, which is very much, a, I think, a good marriage for Naval because they also have a very, uh, what seems like respecting old traditional styles of brewing, mm. uh, using local ingredients. Like beer is often quite a local thing, right? So it's, it's a beer that services an area. So I think they're singing off the same uh, song Thank sheet, you. let's say. Oh, Catholic upbringing. (laughs) Guilty. (laughs) Yeah, so. It's kind of a soury thing going on, but I don't mind it. Like I always like bits of lemon and those types of flavors. So I think it's got a bit of that. That's what the, that'll be the yeast. That's that's very typical for wild beers. So it's a sour. They say that it was aged for 13 months in oak barrels, Mm -hmm. which is quite a long time. Yeah, is that longer than average? Oh, definitely, yes. You're teaching me now. And especially uh, beers that are barrel is not often, you don't drink that every day unless you're really into beer. Mm -hmm. So this kind of taste, I think, are very, what you said, wine. They are sort of a link towards wine uh, methods. I could imagine drinking this with like a nice, like a meal with some, maybe some creamy, uh, like asparagus with like a creamy sauce mm-hmm. would go really well with this to definitely. kind of cut through that. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Definitely pair it with some nice springy spring food. Yeah, for sure. I know they, they care a lot about that, Naval. They work a lot with other similar restaurants that like, uh, mm. um, they also do similar thing where they're all about local, local produce and uh, using quality ingredients and things. Um, but yeah, this, I think this sort of style of beer is way closer to how people think about wine and yeah. natural wines and things like that. This is definitely the kind of, that kind of beer, but yeah, it's, it's made with, uh, opal plums and herbs and her, I think the herbs were grown right next to the brewery. It says on their website, which is Amazing. pretty, Sounds pretty like interesting a nice place to visit, but yeah, maybe like this, uh, yeah, home, homesick. It does, I think maybe for them. I don't know what, what the homesick is. Maybe one of the guys in Germany. I, I'm not sure where the homesick comes in, really. 
Oh, maybe they were traveling to this German uh, brewery to meet and they had a bit of, little homesick moment mm. when they were discussing yeah. this beer or what they wanted to bring from their own country to this mm. mix. Maybe I that's think it's to do with the heritage as well. Them trying to safeguard all these heritage recipes and about, you know, trying to keep something intact from before and uh, save it for prosperity. Yeah, maybe. Look at us getting all poetic about yeah, beer. Yeah. No, but it's good. It is it's normal. normal. Yeah, this is, is normal is in this studio. Oh, yeah, yeah. Always it. speak <laughs> about beer in a profound way. Hey, why not? Oh. Why not speak like that about beer? To I make agree. a bit of a poetry, have poetry in beer. Yes. It is possible. That's what Oedipus mm. is all about, yeah. right? No, I think, for example, I think the label evoking uh, yeah. hills or dunes or has a bit of that wandering mind um meaning so you are lost in this uh, landscape and you are just going in and letting yourself uh, go in this nature that has a bit of that name and feeling and yeah. touch to the beer i think it's quite poetic indeed mm -hmm. i agree and the flavor victor what uh what do you think about the flavor it's very it's, very, it's quite sour but i mm -hmm. think the sweetness of the plums balance, yeah there is a definitely well. sweetness in it so I, I would say the sourness is first of grabs you on the tip mm -hmm. of the tongue and then suddenly you get into a sweet phase yeah which... it reminds me of rhubarb crumble if you guys ever eaten that that's such a youth thing for me like yeah. my nana in new zealand always made it and it's sweet but really tangy yeah and the structure as well like i know there's no rhubarb in there but no. rhubarb and plum are kind of affiliated i feel like yeah i think so i think with, this, with the sourness as well it definitely is similar to rhubarb flavor it's quite yeah. dry as well i think the beer at the end is kind of finished to it but maybe uh maybe it's evoked a bit of homesickness there by accident oh, who yeah. knows oh yes <laughs> don't remind me i can't fly home oh no no so, well we're all suffering from that aren't That's, we yeah exactly we're all stuck we're all, we're all expats <laughs> in the room right yeah. now well yeah i can take the train one thing I can oh, do. Oh, yes, you can. Lucky. Yeah. I can't take the trains in New Zealand. No, that <laughs> would be a long journey. It would, <laughs> with many underwater trains. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's what you have to imagine. <laughs> yes, I am. This beer is really helping. Yeah, yeah. The, but this beer yeah, brings you a bit home, probably. Yeah. Now, I think for me that this beer and taste indeed has a bit of that uh, uh, laid-back uh, laid countryside, uh, like a... The beer from the local place in a mm. way or you you arrive somewhere and this is what they offer you mm. Mm. it's a bit of a surprising but sweet uh, taste and maybe a question to you charlotte is like i said when i was uh introducing navel is yeah they do say a lot of their beers are a little bit challenging and to someone who is maybe new to wild beers do, what would you what do you think about this in terms of a beer is it would you say it's accessible would you drink another one or i think it's surprisingly accessible yeah I think when you were explaining, you know, the bit of the background of the brewery, I was like, oh, this is going to be very complicated. But actually it's it's really but I am also someone who really likes sour flavours. Like okay, I nice. eat bits of lemon. Yeah, okay. And um so this is actually very doable in that sense. But it's not what you would expect from a beer as like a non beer, you know, connoisseur. Yeah, yeah. But I like that. I like being surprised by uh, flavors so oh, yeah definitely. i would definitely order another one ah great yeah no that's what that's what i like about uh, the beer culture that's going on now constantly kind of mm -hmm. challenging what a beers uh, should be and i think navel uh, leading leading the way on that it's really really good this one i've had a couple of other beers now as i've got to know them better and this one's delicious i think it's 
Yeah, Good. it's a really refreshing beer. Yeah, thanks, nice. Nabel. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Yes. If you're ever in the Nijmegen area, definitely stop by. They have a lovely tap room as well. And uh, yeah, but let's uh, let's uh, focus on you, Charlotte, for a little bit now, and also Klabu. Um, so, Charlotte, how did the idea of Klabu first start out? Well, Klabu is um, really the brainchild of uh, Jan van Hovel, who is a very old uh, school friend of mine. Yeah. We actually landed in Holland pretty much on the same day. I was fresh off the boat from New Zealand and he was fresh off the boat from Bangladesh. Uh, he'd just spent, he'd sort of traveled around quite a lot. As a child, his parents were both in uh, the refugee aid scene. Right, Father okay. worked for UNHCR for a really long time. And so he had grown up kind of around uh, refugee camps and, you know, playing football with kids in, in Bangladesh and not really discerning the difference between what a refugee is and his own situation and then coming to Holland and of course living there, you know, we lived in uh, in a very small little town called Baren. Mm. And for me as well, it was quite a strange uh, transition coming from the beach in uh, Wakuku to mm. Baren. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and so we were soulmates in that way that we uh, were both, both outsiders. Both outsiders. Bit. Yeah. And um, we remained friends throughout high school and afterwards, but then kind of took different paths and uh, Jan became a lawyer Mm-hmm. and worked on the Zaitos and did that whole thing for a few years. And I moved into reforestation and I worked in refugee camps uh, on big reforestation projects. And uh, before that, I was in advertising. That's where I met Victor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I kind of have that marketing, one, uh, communications one side, and then always looking for something that I find worthwhile and impactful and having that refugee background. And when Jan kind of started to solidify his ideas for how he could combine his passion for sports and, you know, his knowledge of the refugee need, really, with something positive and and, and future thinking, uh, he reached out to me and we kind of started brainstorming and going on very long walks and talking through what this could be mm. and what could be a real structural solution and not just let's get money together and go and give, you know, 5,000 footballs the kids in refugee camps because that's a temporary solution. But we really wanted something that would be there forever and have a really profound impact and that we could replicate and scale. Mm. And so Klavu really um, officially launched uh, just over a year ago at Wyden and Kennedy. But before yeah. that, of course, we spent many years crafting it. Uh, we were in Kenya setting up the first uh, sports club, yeah. building the campaign with the Kennedys at Wyden and Kennedy. And working with so many amazing partners. I mean, I think through all the challenges, because it's not been an easy ride, um, I think anyone who starts a company or a charity or a combination of those two knows it's just really hard to do something new. And I think maybe Oedipus in that way can relate because when you're in a scene where things happen in a certain way and you decide to do something very different to that, mm. you're constantly having to justify and explain what you're doing and yeah, really forge a new path, I think. Um, yeah, but it's really it's really good to uh, sometimes not pay attention to that and just yeah. concentrate on what you're doing yourself. I, from just talking there, I see that maybe your uh, professional background and also Jan's is very much shaped Klabu for the better, giving it a like, maybe more long-lasting uh, yeah, I think so. uh, effect. And I think it's really, really good. But what, what is your role in Klabu kind of now, now it's set up? So I helped... I'm in the board of uh, board of directors yeah. and I kind of oversee, I guess the, I see myself as like the guardian of the brand. I think you can relate to this Victor where you've <laughs> been, way, at, yes. you know, where you've been at the start, you've, you've helped set up the look, the feel, how we sound, uh, how we talk to people, 
um, our tone really. And now it's about, okay, we're growing and scaling and starting on all these new adventures, but we have to stay true to who we are. And I really enjoy that role because it means I can work with amazing photographers, you know, great storytellers, young people who want to learn and join our club and help them to become real club ambassadors. So mm-hmm. yeah, my role is, uh, is fluid in mm-hmm. that way. Like at the moment I'm wearing a production hat, so I'm producing the new Getting campaign, stuff done. Yeah, but I also, you know, uh, helped kind of co-design the store or if you know, we need to do an event. I'll be out getting chairs. So it's really all hands on deck at Klavu. Yeah. Very typical for a startup, oh, isn't yes. it? Every Everything's a bit blurred. Yeah. But at what point um, did kind of the sports focus become involved in Klavu? Like you must have... Uh, oh, really from the start. From the start. It was always about sports. Yeah. Jan is like a crazy sports nut, um, plays all sorts of sports, especially football. Mm. And I think sports, we see it really as the vessel for change. Yeah. And in these refugee camps, um, I don't know if you've ever been to a refugee camp before or Unfortunately um, no. 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 Well, it's a place where there's a lot happening. Yeah. There's a lot of activity, a lot of initiatives, but not a lot of resources. So you have and and typically it's about eighty percent young people, so eighty percent under eighteen. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot to do. And so sports can really be an amazing catalyzer for positive growth. Um, if you give these young people the tools, you know, they'll go for it. It's mm. not like we have to be there and create or help them to run the sports club. If we provide the resources and set up the structure, it's a community-led operation. Mm. And so that was always our goal. So how can we create something that's really community-led and it's about sports because sports allows people to grow confidence. You know, they join these teams, they learn new languages, they make new friends, and they really learn how to excel um in a in a kind of a team setting yeah yeah, sports was always the was always the idea because you you choose no you started in nigeria kenya kenya sorry so why why this country in particular well it was actually an interesting one because kenya in the north of kenya there's a number of very large refugee camps because it's on the border of south sudan And so um, Kenya is all about trying to find a new model for uh, safeguarding refugees. It's not about pretending that these refugees are ever going home because the majority of them will not. They'll be living in these camps forever. On average, it's 17 years that people stay in a refugee camp. Um, And so Kenya's kind of embraced this new model of, okay, how can we help them rebuild their lives instead of just pressing pause and staying in this kind of limbo, you know, for generations, which is really soul-destroying for young people with potential. Mm. And so they've created almost like a, a yeah a new township um, model where there's a marketplace and people can apply for loans for small companies. Um, there are resourcing for sports, uh, lots of churches and cultural activities, and young people are really encouraged to get an education and then get a job or start up a small business. And so the Klabu model really fits well into that. Mm. Um, so the next uh, sports club we're building will also be in a place that has a similar uh, mindset and ambition. Yeah, that you just what I think is quite interesting is the fact that we really do maybe take for granted what the role of sport is in in our life, right? Like we all went, we were all lucky enough to go to school and and my school played sports and. What it seems like Klabu is doing is just trying to introduce that to people that really don't have that kind yeah. of infrastructure um, yeah, and promote community about, as well. If you think about like this, maybe the sports club you were a member of when you were kind of in your formative years, you know, between maybe 15 and like 
in your mid-20s, that, that team connection that you have and that pride of being a member of a club, you know, that's a huge part of your identity. Um, and it's a place where you feel safe and where you can try out new things and, and meet new people and really challenge yourself also to, to be a better version of yourself. I think sports really embodies everything about growing as a human. Um, Definitely. And, I think- it, and it's universal. Everyone, you understand that feeling, that spirit. And that's exactly the same for someone who lives in the north of Kenya and is a refugee. Mm. So it connects us all. So, yeah, definitely. I'm curious because I think you said that uh, you want to build this sports club uh, to last. Yeah. So you acknowledge the fact that this refugee camp will stay and these people will never or have few chance of returning home technically. Yes. So you, you imagine that in the future these clubs or this city township Mm-hmm. will stay and there will be basically new cities or a new uh, urban landscape. That's Absolutely. The, yeah. it's, that's exactly right. I mean, if I could show you pictures of Color Bay, it's really a, a village that's growing and developing into a town like any other. You know, there are different marketplaces. There are uh, neighborhoods uh, with squares. Um, there's streets, street names, you know, everything that goes with uh, our Western idea of what a town a town or a community looks like is the same. Um, and it's just recently that uh, large NGOs and kind of these aid institutions are recognizing this fact and saying, okay, guys, this refugee uh, situation is is permanent and we need to find permanent solutions instead of these temporary Band-Aids. What, what mm. sort of... Um... Help is already out there uh, for people in this situation. Uh, you mean refugees yeah, in yeah. general? I mean, there's lots and lots of help. It's amazing to see the types of organizations that are active in a camp like this. Mm. Um, and I've worked also in Zambia and Cameroon uh, in different camps and seen, you know, the effort and the input that goes into creating a livable space for people, even though it is very tough. You know, they're really tough conditions, usually in very hot, kind of dusty lifeless areas because of course these countries are welcoming you know, right. hundreds of thousands of refugees into their country mm. and sometimes these countries are already scarce for resources mm. you know they could be already suffering from deforestation at a really massive scale and then suddenly you've got 300,000 refugees where are you going to house them probably in a dusty corner of the country so it's, it's pretty it's tough, tough. Yeah. there is a lot happening especially on healthcare, youth Um, education, but sports is really one of those things that kind of gets left by the wayside. Uh, It's not a priority. And so we really saw a huge opportunity to jump in there and we're seeing the response has been amazing. Like UNHCR, which is the biggest aid agency, they love the idea and the concept. And now that we have proof of concept, they're working really closely with us to expand, which is awesome. So so it's obvious that you've spent quite a bit of time there out in the refugee camps. Now, was there a, a specific moment or something that you saw that you thought, wow, I really need to make change? Hmm. Yeah, I think I've always really felt that way. Um, I worked at Widen uh, for a number of years and was lucky enough to work on a few uh, nonprofits, uh, also with Victor. And I think that really sparked something in me of, yeah. okay, I'm working with all these creative, amazing people in this fantastic company. And I do get to work on these great charities that I believe in, but then you also do a lot of commercial stuff on the side, which is, you know, the way that these companies work. It's business, yeah. Yeah. But I think that did spark something in me of, oh, I want to spend all my time 
working for things that I really, really believe in. So that's, I did make that change kind of after having worked there. That's quite interesting though, isn't it? Because you actually maybe were thinking a bit more like, how can I creatively make a change? Yeah. Rather than, uh, oh man, this is a really desolate out here. Something needs to be done. You were like, we, let's do something inspiring and something different. Yeah, yeah that's and a good way to put it. It seems also that the, your experience of uh, this company, so at Wyden is Wyden and Kennedy, an advertising company. That's quite big. And it's sort of uh, specialized in big campaigns and developing projects. So I think it seems your experience there really helped uh, making many aspects of Club rather clear and impactful. That's what yeah. I see. I don't think Jan or I could have done what we've done without having worked, you know, at a, the really high level in the corporate scene because he worked at one of the you know, better known uh, law companies in the Netherlands. I was lucky enough to have spent time at Wyden and Kennedy, which is a yeah, pretty special place. And the experience that we had there really shaped how we approach Klabu. Mm. And we do that in a professional way at, at a high level. And, you know, we have really high expectations of the output. Um, and so that's creative output, but also the impact um, that we have in the countries where we work. And I think that's also why we've been able to attract partners uh, to work with us who are amazing, you know, and, and deliver and help us be who we are. We definitely could not do this alone, but recognizing what's really, really good and striving always for that and never settling for less. I mean, it's an exhausting way to go, but it's, it's mm. the best way. Do you still think you have the, the same initial goal or is, did it become like, as you grow, does it become different? Yeah, I think we've we've become more clear on the goal and we now kind of also have the confidence to really say our goal is to become the biggest club in the world. I love that statement. We're I've doing heard it, it before, it's great. Because yeah. we and, and we can do it because at the moment the biggest club in the world is Hamburg. They have just over 300,000 members. Hamburg, is that St. Pauli? Or... Uh, or am I saying it, oh gosh, now I'm wondering if it's München. No, it is Hamburg. With I'm the sure. skull and crossbones? Yes. Yeah, St. Pauli, uh, Hamburg, yeah. And so they have a large number of members, mm -hmm. but we think we can definitely grow beyond because everyone who buys a Klabu shirt, you know, is part of the Klabu. And so at the moment when we cross that 300,000 threshold, we will be the biggest club in the world. Mm. Um, and, of course, our members in, you know, the countries far away who profit from what we're doing so that is the goal and we're sticking by it. And uh, yeah, maybe we've become a bit more ballsy as the years go by, but yeah. I think you have to be to achieve anything. That's good. It's, I think that you uh, you see that in a lot of startup companies. And like, yeah, Klabu does seem to be grow growing quite rapidly from what you've been saying. And you started very small, just you and Jan. Are there any difficulties there as you grow, knowing how to make the right choices? So many. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be totally lying if I was like, no, it's been smooth sailing all the way, peace and harmony. No, and it's definitely not just Jan and I to clarify. Um, Kelvin Govey, who's our lead design kind of head of brand, he was uh, with us. He's been with us now for, I think, a year and a half. And he's really at the foundation of, you know, what do we look like and, and how does our product work and what is the brand? Um, and so many other really amazing people uh, who've helped create Klabu into what it is, uh, not to mention the, you know, the club members in, in Color Bay and the people running the actual sports club. So it's run by refugees and local Kenyans, uh, mm. six of them, headed by uh, Isaac, Pastor Isaac, who is kind of the the life and soul of uh, of the Color Bay spirit. 
And without people like him who, you know, text us every day with updates, organised football tournaments for young people. He organised a volleyball tournament tor- tournament for people who were um, handicapped the other day and mm-hmm. sent us all the pictures. And he's the driving force and we need people like him in each and every sports club that we set up. Um, we can't do that from here and we don't want to. We want it to be something that's owned and that thrives kind of within the community itself. Mm. So, yeah, Klabu is a collection of lots and lots of sweat, blood and tears of very of many people. Mm. Um, but, yeah, there's been so many challenges. I don't know which ones have been. Uh, I mean, you're pioneering, so it's hard. Yeah, for it's sure. It's hard. Yeah, I think it's uh, interesting what you say with the, that you are here. So you are yeah. developing this brand charity from here, but you you don't land there on an helicopter and tell them what to do. Because that's often what we heard about charity, that they land somewhere and they would uh, do what they think is the best according to their vision. Well, if you let the people there do their own, uh, uh, yeah, do, do with their own thing with what you bring, then they probably find better solutions. So is this an important point that you want to keep in your oh, project? Oh, absolutely. Yeah? I, we would never want to be, and, and I think also if you look at charities, that is changing. Mm-hmm. So even the really large, you know, non, non-governmental organizations are changing their models to be, I mean, to be really blunt, like white people in Western countries saying what's the solution for right. other people. Um, it's changing much more to being rooted in what is needed and how do people live and what do they want mm-hmm. and then giving them the tools and then leaving it be. I mean, of course, we have monitoring systems in place and we measure impact and um, we kind of steer to the left or to the right where needed to kind of keep things on track. But we would never want to be uh, the type of organization that is on top of it um, because that's just not what Club is about. No. Yeah. Is the, I have like one more question about kind of the, the problems that you're trying to deal with. Um, like, is the problem... Is it now a bit more local as as well as in these African cultures that you're trying to support as well? Like I read a lot in the news about a lot of uh, refugee uh, problems, a lot more local. Uh, is there a refugee culture uh, community here in Amsterdam as well? Yeah, so there there is definitely. We call them newcomers is the official uh, right, okay. kind of term. And there's lots of people who come to Amsterdam and to the Netherlands for all sorts of reasons. And some of those reasons are are not nice um, and they fleeing war and persecution, political or otherwise. And we, um, we're definitely connected to the Amsterdam community of newcomers and we try to involve people as much as we can. We organized a tournament at Kwaku Festival last year, mm-hmm. which was a huge success. And there was people there from, you know, all, all over in every single culture and some of them were first generation and some second, third. And it was amazing to see like a pitch full of, Klabu colors and different languages and food. And it was just all, everything that Klabu is about. It was a really happy, joyous occasion right. to kind of do that close to home for a change, mm-hmm. you know, for us to be really connected to the impact of sports and how joyful sports are. And how diverse sports can be as and well. And how diverse. And yeah. yeah. And how it really bridges everything else in your life. I mean, you and I could be very different in background and belief system, but if you put a ball between us, yeah, no, it's we're like going to communal language a little we're bit. We're going to have that in common. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think we want to do that more. Is the kind of short answer. We do have a number of amazing uh, newcomers working in our shop 
on the Zadike. Mm-hmm. Quick plug. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We we'll drop a... more links to what club you do in the show notes. But yeah, you have a lovely shop on the in a hot spot of uh, hot Amsterdam spot. as well, right? No, we kind of didn't realize how hot when we got the we got the lease, and then we realized who our neighbors were. We were like, yes, yeah, we're right next to Butter. Next to all the big uh, kind of uh, streetwear kids as well, yeah. And the cool kids. Yeah. So they're really great neighbors as well. And there's just a lot of people now finding the Zaydaik as a place to go instead of just kind of tourists from, you know, Spain Mm. and England. Uh, No offense. But, yeah, it's a a really fun, vibrant spot in the city. And we have a beautiful store. And Atia and Sam work there. And uh, Atia is from Bangladesh and Sam is originally from Syria. And they are just, you know, the best. And they welcome everyone with a big uh, hello and a mm. cup of coffee and, you know, tell the Klavu story. And they're really ambassadors for what we're about. Mm. And almost no one leaves the store without buying a shirt. Sam has a pretty high success rate. Nice. So, yeah, yeah go challenge him, I Definitely. would say. Go to the store. Now, I'm just thinking about, um, we mentioned some of your neighbors on the Zadike, And it got me thinking that, yeah, you guys maybe are quite placed in that kind of streetwear culture thing, or maybe you're aiming yourselves at these young people. And then I think back to also a conversation we had about how you're kind of challenging what a modern charity should be. Now, without trying to formulate that into a question, what do you think a little bit about that? Is that a conscious thing to kind of uh, uh, advertise yourselves at younger people, a younger generation? I think we're just advertising at ourselves. Okay. You know, we're not young by any stretch of the imagination, but we're also not old. And I think we are people who are really aware of what's happening in the world. We like things to be cool and of good quality. And we're conscious about how we spend, you know, our euros. And so bringing those three things together really just naturally became a lifestyle brand that has really cool products that you want to wear and that represents something that we believe in. And I think a lot of people share that that drive because I don't know anyone in my group of friends or kind of acquaintances who doesn't want to have a positive impact but no one wants to sacrifice on style right oh yeah for <laughs> sure quality. Yeah. so yeah we just created a product that we would want to wear yeah in that regard i'm uh, very curious because i'm interested in that aspect of, of the course. brand uh, so the look and the message and the branding so can you explain me what is the e- meaning behind the, the t-shirt pattern so the first one, because you say you are in September launching new new things. So I'm really curious, really mm-hmm. excited. So what is the meaning of that shirt? What is the pattern about? And also the logo, because the logo also has a meaning. So can you explain both? So I'm now paraphrasing Kelvin, who's a designer, and I hope I do him justice. He does have an entire page dedicated to the storytelling behind the design, which I will send you. Mm-hmm. Um it's a beautiful story. Everything about the Klabu shirt is symbolic. So the pattern on the main shirt is actually a microscopic image of the wing of a butterfly and um, is also inspired by the kind of patterns that you see in African uh, clothing and design. And the colors, uh, blue is representative of the sky, which of course also means freedom. And the orange is a bold color of fire and energy, um, which is also quite common in uh, northern kenyan culture the Turkana culture and the logo you see two camels they're embracing and camels are the uh are the kind of spirit animal of the Turkana people which is the tribe that lives in the area where the camp is where mm-hmm. Kalabay is and the three stars on the crest are symbolic for the three villages of Kalabay um and the butterfly itself so the actual mm-hmm. uh Klabu brand logo 
uh, represents a butterfly because butterflies stand for freedom and growth um, and also have a spiritual kind of connotation about change and metamorphosis. And so everything about it has been very thoroughly thought out mm. and will remain kind of part of the Klaibu brand, but it is evolving in the new collection. So you'll see some exciting new colors and I think it's becoming maybe a little bit more, not commercial, but there's definitely something in there for everyone, which mm. of course we need because we need to sell Klavu in order to grow yeah. the impact. Um, so yeah. There's also this interesting aspect of the butterfly is some species migrate from continent to another. Yeah, like the monarch. They, exactly. And they, yeah. they bloom sometimes for like a season and then disappear or come back. So the, the butterfly mm. has also this uh, transcontinental or it's everywhere on Earth, I believe, except Antarctica maybe. I think like the story of the monarch butterfly is so beautiful because they start in a place called uh, Michoacan in Mexico in mm -hmm. the mountains and they instinctively know to migrate all the way up to Canada through California in four generations and then they come all the way back. Wow. So the generations that are being born have never been to the place where they're heading mm. and it's just this amazing instinctual sort of organic uh journey that they're on mm. and yeah it's pretty amazing it does remind me in a lot of ways about the journey that many refugees are on mm -hmm. so yeah there's a lot of links yeah it's, it's really good it's like i think this is all all this uh talk of how that connects with nature and what things happen but it's i think also what's intelligent about the design is it is all a bit of a pastiche to classic football shirts as well so like all these absolutely all these little uh, logos like isn't it uh, sorry if i'm wrong but on the logo there is a the number of stars on it is the amount right. of is the amount of clubs that you've been able to set up. Am I right? So the three stars are representative for the three villages of Color Bay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We'll end up building many more clubs than yeah. three. I so. thought that was really cool because that's also exactly what a shirt would wear if they had also won the World Cup. Oh right. And it, yeah, and it's uh, or if you'd become champions of uh, Europe or whatever, clubs wear stars on them. So I remember being told that, and I was like, it has very much a pastiche to. Classic football shirts. And also it looks like some of these uh, colourful shirts of the 90s as well. And it, it's really, really good. We did a, um, a collab with Blood In, Blood Out. Oh, yeah. Really. You know them? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you're. I can tell you're a lover of football paraphernalia. Yeah, I'm a big fan. There you go. So Blood In, Blood Out do like, uh, they call it heritage. They've got a word for it, like heritage mixing. Mm -hmm. So they like to look at kind of the background of clubs and players and dissect the the bloodlines really of um, their, their affiliation with clubs. Yeah. yeah, the love, the the love of football and the love of the mm. clubs. And they did a bunch of mashups with a Klabu shirt and then the different country shirts of the places where lots of our refugees are from. Awesome. And it was so amazing to see, you know, the Klabu shirt kind of mashed up with all these iconic shirts that everyone knows and it didn't look out of place at all it just looked very natural no they're very cool i've yeah. I, I found them because a lot of uh, they use a lot of famous ex-footballers as well and do it like i saw one with edgar davids and oh yeah he's yeah. a fan yeah he's, he's a, a big, big fan, fan. Yeah, yeah so they're really really cool now i i have another question about kind of uh Klabu and how it really is what challenges like what a modern charity should be and you make football shirts in order to try and raise money and awareness and like do you see results Mm. in this yeah oh heaps yeah i mean results i think both in the clubs and also here and that's really what we're 
looking for. You know, we want to create bridges. So um, beyond just uh, allowing, you know, 10,000 people to play sports in in Color Bay, which is the number of members that we have now, and they play sports every day. They come to the club, they borrow the shorts and shirts and balls and everything you need to play sports from volleyball to football, basketball, uh, board games, and it's a library system uh, purposefully in that way people borrow things for like a token amount and they're incentivized to bring them back. And that way with quite a relatively small collection of gear, we can service, you know, these 10,000 members. So that model is quite innovative and new and that's why we're able to scale the program so easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and knowing that those members play sports every day, they post it on their social media, you know, we chat with them, we have WhatsApp groups with lots of different uh, groups within the camp. Um, and we know that it's a, a model that works. So that's one point of impact. Of course, we want to grow it much more, um, and become even larger and more effective and more efficient. And we've definitely learned things along the way that don't work, mm-hmm. um, things getting stolen and things getting broken and, you know, ways that we can be smarter. Mm-hmm. Um, but the impact here, I would say has been really just the word getting out and the amount of, yeah, just people on the street, who say to me, hey, I know that shirt, that's Klaabu, you guys do things with refugees. And, you know, not just in Amsterdam, in London, Mm. in New York, in Berlin, um, seeing on social media, which of course makes the impact very visible, seeing how far it's reaching um, and how people want to get involved and they want to do more. And so that's what we're working on now is how can we make the the membership be more than just wearing the shirt, um, which is what we're doing at the minute so there'll be uh, developments on that coming all right let's take a short break from our conversation with charlotte and victor to call liz pratt to find out what's in her fridge liz is a colleague and the production manager here at the brewery originally from the states liz has a great knowledge of u.s and local beer so was excited to find out what she drinks so let's give her a call Hello. Well, hello there, Liz. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. Yeah, obviously today we're going to talk about your fridge. Tell me, what is in your fridge at the moment? Well, I would be lying if I didn't say I bring home plenty of short fills from the brewery. I think uh, anyone in our line of work does the same. Um, It's always fun to keep an eye on the product we're creating. Of course. I try and support local breweries as much as I can. So this week, that means a lot of Butcher's Tears and Crumb nice. in the fridge. Yeah. yeah, I'm a big fan of, of both of those guys. I think especially that they're both canning beer, something I'm really excited about. Which beers by those breweries are you stocking at the moment or which are your favorites? You know, I've been trying to do like the mix packs and try a whole lot of different things. Nice. My favorite from Kromaharing has always been Inktvis, which is the black IPA. Cool. And Butcher's Tears, I generally go with one of the IPAs. I'm a really big fan of Hit Parade as well as Green Cap. Nice, yeah. Green Cap, apparently, according to the guys from Butcher's Tears, was the first IPA to be made in Amsterdam. Wait, apparently. really? I did not know that. Yeah. That's super exciting. Huh. I'm yeah. drinking history. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And I would definitely recommend a beer of theirs. I think they just released one of the most recent batches, a beer called Smoke and Mirrors. 
delicious. Kind of blew my socks off a little bit. Really, you really know, good. I think I think I have one or two of those waiting to be cracked open. So so uh, now I'm good. even more excited for that than I was before. Nice. I look forward to your response. So what else is in the fridge? Let's see. Um, one thing I've been trying to enjoy a little bit more lately is the kind of special occasion bottles that we all save and they yeah. kind of build up and build up. And over the last couple of months, I've kind of said, hey, well, what's a more special occasion than being locked down in my house for a couple months on end? <laughs> um, so I've been pulling out a lot of those bottles lately, especially from the region where I came from. So I moved to Amsterdam from Portland, Maine. Nice. And I've been feeling a little homesick lately. Um, so most of the special occasion bottles I'm pulling out are from Allagash Brewing Company. My cool. favorite right now is Resurgum. Got a couple bottles of that that I've been saving. It's like a Lambic style wild fermented beer. So it's made with a cool ship, but obviously it's not made in Belgium. So I know I'll get a bunch of angry messages if I call it Lambic, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, of course. Is this the kind of beer that they're known for making? I believe their big leader is Allagash White, which is pretty widely distributed, especially in North America. But they are also really well known for some of their wild fermented beers. So I know they've they've been to Night of Great Thirst a couple times. Unfortunately, of course, it um, is not happening this year. Um, they do yeah. a big trip to Belgium and, and Europe every year, I think, for their you know employees who have been there five years get to go to Belgium. Um, so it's something that's really important to them. And for me, it's just nice to give a small cheers to my brewing industry friends from back in the U.S. Also, what I like about Resurgum is that the name Resurgum is the city motto of Portland, and it means I shall rise again. And I know it's cheesy, but with everything going on in the world right now and having to lay low because of virus stuff, it's just a nice reminder that we're going to get through this together and it's going to be okay. (laughs) Yeah, it does sound awfully uh, poignant, actually. So yeah, I think worth raising a glass to. Yeah. I'm also a big believer that sometimes you just want a nice crispy lager in a can, especially when it's beautiful and hot and sunny outside. So of course, I've always got a couple of those in the fridge as well. Yeah. Which which of your go-to lagers then? So normally I go with Warsteiner, but right now I'm very excited about this thing that is not actually probably that exciting. I have a 12-pack of Pabst Blue Ribbon. Oh, nice. (laughs) A friend of mine, a very generous friend, uh, brought it to Amsterdam from the military exchange in Frankfurt that she has access to. And I know it's just like another macro lager, but I was born in Milwaukee when my dad was working at PBR and I still have his old embroidered work jacket from the 80s. And honestly, I think I'm just all about doing what's comforting and what makes me smile right now. I know I could be digging up all kinds of cellared wonders and expensive beers from all over the world, but sometimes you just want a chill beer, something relaxed, that is kind of comforting and happy and watch the boats go by the canal and 
can be yeah, really for nice sure. I think it's it's funny. We can drink lots of beer that is interesting and really makes us think about what we're uh, tasting and drinking, but still also can be a bit of a almost a bit nationalistic kind of thing. This is why if I was to go back into a pub in England, I'd probably order a Guinness. And oh, <laughs> it's just kind of like my go-to beer and I still love it, even though I've probably had much better stouts <laughs> in, uh, from uh, good uh, craft breweries, you know. Yeah, I totally hear you. And I don't remember who said this, but someone at one point was making the point to me that there are all these rating websites, there's Untapped and Rate Beer, and there are all these articles all over the internet about the top 25 beers you have to try before you die. And um, this person was saying at the end of the day, the best beer is the beer that you have in your hand. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I, t- I could totally agree with that. I totally agree. I asked this to another person that I spoke to recently who had recently moved countries. I asked them how much their fridge had changed since moving to their different country. I want to ask you, is there anything that has dramatically changed about the content of your fridge <laughs> or has it pretty much stayed the same? Definitely fewer IPAs, for sure. Okay. I mean, especially when you're coming from New England, you got you know New England IPAs coming out your ears. Um, yeah. So we've definitely adjusted to more lagers, more blonde beers, yeah, more saison, a little bit less of that heavy, heavy reliance on IPAs, which yeah. I think has been really fun. And every once in a while, I do miss some of the IPAs from back home, but I think that's why I've got my special orders from Kromaharing and Butcher's Tears. Exactly, <laughs> so I can get my yeah. hands on, you know, versions of those flavors that I'm used to back home. Yeah, nice. All right. It is really good to hear that you're still supporting local. I know these guys need it more than ever, even now bars are reopening. But Liz, it's been great chatting to you. I think I know enough about your fridge. This is really nice. <laughs> All right. Well, someday are you going to talk about what's in your own fridge? Yeah, one day. One day I will talk about my fridge, yeah, when someone calls me. Okay, sounds great. All right, cool. Thanks for chatting to me. All right, no problem. Bye, dude. All right, bye-bye. And a big thank you to Liz. Good to hear she's supporting local breweries. I have attached links in the show notes to some of those breweries so you can find out more. To talk about what's in your fridge, get in contact with me. Radio at udipus.com is the address. For now, let's get back into our conversation with Victor and Charlotte. It is really special what you do about uh, you can buy the shirt and be part of the club. And... Um, I think it's really makes us a lot more aware, but I was wondering what more do you think we can do to help rather than just wearing the football shirt? What a good question. What do you think that you can do? Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, if I'm brutally honest, I am often just unaware of these things. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of this going around in in, uh, in social times at the moment. We need to educate and make sure that we're aware of a lot of issues out there. But uh, besides just giving money, I'm not sure what my hands-on approach would be, but I think it would be more on a local scale, like trying to get involved and help out with some local communities, refugee communities or newcomers, see what we can do in order to support them. That would be my perspective, but I wouldn't have a professional who's in and around that might have. But I think that's exactly what we need. 
Yeah. I think we need to, and that's something we need to be better at as well. We need to learn how to harness all this energy because like you're saying ideas about, you know, creating maybe setting up an event or creating a space where people in the community locally can come and learn more or get their hands dirty. And, you know, yeah. that's energy that we need to learn how to harness better. I think we've just been running so quickly with so few hands that it's been sometimes we just have to, you know, we get all these lovely emails of, I want to help, I want to do something. And we simply haven't had the time, I think, to properly capture all that energy and and, and knowledge and do mm. something with it. So we, we are going to get better at that. But I see some opportunities for an Oedipus Clabu collaboration. You right mean, on. <laughs> you mean a collaboration? Oh, yeah. That's oh, what we should do. Nice. Well, we have the name. We yeah. have the name sorted. I think... You know, maybe you want to design a Oedipus Klabu shirt. That would be pretty special. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure maybe what the protocol is here, but we we were chatting about doing some form of football event, and and yeah, we're big fans of each other. Like I think the colours kind of speak to each other in a way. But yeah, rather than leave it to be desired, we were talking about trying to organise some form of football tournament. I think we're going to make um, it happen, don't obviously worry. Obviously, this current situation uh, prohibited that a little bit. So 2021, fingers crossed we can do something helpful. Um, now, I think we've spoken a lot about Clabu, uh, which is just a part of what you are, Charlotte. So I think it might. <laughs> what I would like to ask you a couple of questions is is about you yourself. And it's clear that you really have a love and a drive for what you do. Would you say that's true? I would. Yeah? And yeah. What, is, what is it about the work that you really love? If I didn't, I wouldn't be able to kind of keep it up. Um, I think at the minute I'm sort of juggling a few different jobs, a few different hats. And yeah, like anyone, I think, you know, Victor and yourself, you work in a dynamic workspace, right? You have mm-hmm. to wear different hats at different times. And that keeps things really fresh and interesting. And I love that about my job. Um, and sometimes you get to a point where you kind of, you know, you're seeing them flying around and you're not quite sure if you're catching all the right balls. But Klabu really is almost like a child at this point mm. who is always kind of in your consciousness. So even when I'm off doing other things, because I'm a I'm a freelancer, so mm. I have lots of different clients and different things happening on one day. But Klabu is always there. Mm. And sometimes it's a problem child, but mostly it's uh, <laughs> it's kind of your special child who mm. you uh, you like giving time and attention to. And, and um... yeah. I have a question. I don't know if it is still part of this one, but um, so you you said at the beginning that you were um, you worked with the Kennedys on Clabu. <laughs> so this is something I took part of. Yes, let's talk and about that. Can you briefly explain what was your interaction and what was the goal of that collaboration at that stage, and how sure. did that help Clabu become a bit more Clabu then? I think without the Kennedys and um, for people who don't know, the Kennedys is a, like an in-house incubator, uh, a talent fire starter, or a, you know, a place a, of awesomeness. A lab. A lab, <laughs> a, an, lab. a human a experiment. A human experiment. <laughs> a mousetrap. Yeah, it can be a mousetrap. It's led by um, Alvaro Sotomayor and, uh, and Judd, Judd Carraway, who are a producer and a creative director at, at Wyden and Kennedy and They've been doing this now for nine, I think coming on to yeah, nine years. I think years. they are ninth or tenth. The next round is the tenth year, wow. I think. it's Yeah, Yeah, it's been a while. We were in the I was cycle number five. Third. I was number third. Three. Three, yeah. So you were, I think, on two years consecutively yeah. or three? Yeah. So yeah, two. Two. So I was number three. Wow. Is it really that long ago? I'm afraid. This is blowing my mind. Is yeah. that seven years ago? Yes. <gasps> 
Okay. Well, you guys are old. <laughs> I need another beer. <laughs> we can help with that, actually. If yeah, you want another really beer, we have, um, we have some strip on the table. Would you like That's another beer? That's crazy. Uh, sure. What yeah. are we, um, should I uh, should finish this? your oh, yeah. well, homesickness? Yeah. And, okay. Uh, I'm going to get rid of some homesickness first. <laughs> well, yeah, did, did, you, did you answer the question there? Or, uh, no, we're, we're in the process. No, of, okay, process cool. Of, uh, we were describing the Kennedys. Yeah, no, exactly, because the... So, Kennedy is a way of teaching, is a, a form of teaching and a job at the same time for new people who are new to advertising. So I took part of it. And this is sort of seven months of a crazy drive in all kind of projects, including charity and big campaign for their big clients at Wyden and Kennedy. And that taught me so much and also confronted me with a lot of design uh, questions and solutions that uh, yeah, I am still uh, answering today, I think. And when I knew that the Kennedys helped Clabou, I, I knew that was also uh, Alvaro was behind as a creative director. So knowing his drive, his energy and his creativity, how did you two, so you, Charlotte Clabou, yeah. as now an exterior and Alvaro, how did you work together to develop maybe Clabou message or Clabou visuals? What was the... It was an amazing collaboration. It felt a little bit like coming home. So it was a bit of Jaime. Yeah. Um, Homecoming. Yeah. Because we spent, um, yeah, like almost, I would say, six to eight months working really intensely, closely together. And it was quite a unique setup. Um, Coco uh, Ola Kunle, who is our Klabu photographer, she was in the uh, Kennedys the year previous. So she was in the year of 2018. And um, we decided to work together with the Kennedys and Judd agreed to let one of his filmmakers come with us to Kenya. And so it was myself, Coco and Rich, uh, which is uh, Richard Wu, who's an amazing filmmaker and skater. You should definitely Ooh. follow him on Instagram. All right, cool. And so he films like he skates. So he's always really low to the ground, super dynamic, like running around. You should have seen him in Kenya. It was like mm. 40 plus degrees, dusty pitch, two teams playing against each other. We decked them all out in Klabu and he is running from one end of the pitch to the other and back and back. And just the, I mean, the images that came from that shoot were amazing. Mm. And it was just me, him and Coco, you know, I was trying to produce this thing in a refugee camp in a bus filled with people who I didn't know. And we're like driving all around this camp and, you know, there's no such thing as on time. And <laughs> it yeah, was I guess things completely like that go out crazy. the window, don't they? Yeah. And yeah. the Kennedys, uh, in that sense, it was just rich with us. But then in the post-production, they got super involved. And Joss uh, became part of the uh, kind of creative design of, of what we're going to look and feel like as a campaign. Mm. So they did all the post-production, all the editing. They created all the social assets. Anna, um, who was also in the Kennedys, she kind of got involved on a copy front. And so it was really an all hands on deck situation and the Kennedys really came through mm. uh, to help us build, you know, what is Klabu now? So without them, there would be really no, no Klabu um, as it is now. And then we were able to have kind of the launch event at the Wyden and Kennedy mm -hmm. office. I think you were there. I remember you were there. Mm -hmm. But you you, did you um, uh, work with them on sort of campaign development yes. to sort of develop certain aspect of the message? Definitely. Yeah. We were really closely, uh, I was at Wyden quite a lot in those days, which was really surreal. 
Kind of, have you ever been back kind of as a client or like as a partner? Or... No, just as a visitor. Oh, yeah. Once or twice, I think, but not as a... So, yeah, it's, it is... It's really strange to be back when you're not an employee because <laughs> everyone is still like, oh, hey. But then there's also so many people you don't know and it's hard to... You kind of have this new role of client but not really... It, it sounds just strange. like it sounds just like when I've worked. I used to work in quite a few bars. It sounds just like when you return to the pub you used to work in. Yep. And it's like the same place, but the roles are different. <laughs> but it's still happy, nice to be back. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and you kind of want to jump behind the bar and like get your hands dirty. <laughs> I think and, it's and a good, perfect analogy. Pull apart. Yeah, yeah. So that was me. Yeah, I kept yeah. thinking, oh no, don't worry, I'll get my own coffee, and of course, and I'll just walk into the you know the editing booth. But you kind of have to ask permission now, and mm. so it was. A bit getting used to but then it was like nothing had ever changed and what came out of that was you know I think really high quality stuff and um, what's on the website and uh, you know the imagery and the footage that we have is really what has helped us to get the traction and get the energy that we mm. now have so we're super grateful um, and they're still involved mm -hmm. you know Judd loves uh, loves the Klaabu and so does Alva and we're always brainstorming new ideas and new ways that we can work together of course Corona has thrown a bit of a spanner in the works um the situation in many companies is very different now yeah and so we are uh for this new campaign coming up in september we're working with a with a different partner in paris actually uh yeah, uh, yeah yard yard productions i don't know oh they're really great and they're uh we're going to be producing a campaign there in just a week and a half actually nice so cool. yeah and is there any um dream projects for yourself in Klaabu? Mm. So many. I think actually one of the dream projects that we've always had is now happening. Oh, yeah? We can't can you talk, say, can you can't tell, talk about it. Can you tell, give us anything? Yeah. Can you? <laughs> what or can, can I say? What can you say? <laughs> what can I say? Um, Keywords. So I think in terms of the, the impact, so the sports and the amount of people we're going to be able to reach mm -hmm. through this project is huge. But the creative challenge is almost greater. All right. Okay, cool. Yeah. So there's definitely some stuff coming up in September, which um, I wish I could tell you about, but I all can't. All right. All right. I understand. I understand the difficulties. But like maybe just to summarize, everyone yeah. knows that like uh, you've got a really cool uh, product with your shirts. And some of these pictures you were talking about, these are the same ones I've maybe seen in the store, right? Yeah, so yeah. Coco shot a really, really, really cool stuff. Right? And just maybe just one last thing on that. I think what she's done so brilliantly and what Klaabu is really in essence about is reframing how we see refugees. Yeah. Like what do we typically think of when we think of a refugee of maybe a child with, you know, a malnourished tummy with flies holding up their hands to the world, help me, I'm a victim. Mm. But actually that's not accurate. Because yeah, you refugees, put a positive spin on it, really, well, I don't think you? we're putting a spin on anything, no, but we're just term. showing the raw energy and potential that's there. Mm. These are young people with incredible amounts of resilience, much more resilient than you and me, because mm -hmm. what they've gone through already at 18, 19, 20 is you know beyond what we can even imagine. And despite that, they are making music, art, sports, dancing, doing all these different things. And there's just no spotlights or cameras on them. So we want to change that. And mm. I think beyond bringing sports, we're also just bringing a light and shining a light on these people who are amazing.
for sure and it's it's super uh super important i think it's fabulous what you do i have one final question unless you have anything else to add victor uh no i think uh i think you said everything i believe i said a lot sorry yeah, yeah that's right i get right. very rambly uh, uh, no we spoke about a lot and i think but i think it's been i think it's been brilliant i think you've uh i've learned a lot and i think it's really important to yeah, really uh, excited about the new project you have because you, you oh, mentioned yes. yoga so this is not football yoga so no club is about more than football yeah so because when i watched the website and read the stories mm. i mean I have to confess, I'm not a football fan per se, so I'm not really uh, aware of what's happening in the world of football. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering, uh, what would be the next sport? And then, then you just said it, maybe yoga. So I'm like, are oh. you into yoga, Victor? It's not really I'm like not, a fan fan sport. Though, I'm not it? into well, yoga, but I'm into doing it. I'm doing something that looks like yoga every morning. Uh, tai Chi. No, just my own stretching, and I realized oh, uh, two days ago <laughs> that it looks like yoga. Even though, even though it's, it's, it's your own creation. It's yeah. Vic, 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 Yo, Vic Yoga? It's I think a, this is a whole different podcast series yeah, where, probably, where Victor it's, introduces it's his... My, uh, my personal yoga every morning. You need morning. a vlog. Yeah. Yes. You need a vlog. <laughs> now, just to bring it a little bit back to beer, because uh, that's kind of why we're all here. We're, this is uh, the Uripa studio, which we, we make beer. But I wanted to ask you a little bit about, we've, had, we've been able to drink a couple of beers together and we've talked a little bit about flavor. And I want to know how much flavor and taste is in your everyday life. Is this something you're conscious of and think about? I am a massive food freak. Oh yeah? Oh yes. I think about food. I talk about food drives my boyfriend crazy how much I talk about food. Like we'll be having breakfast and then I'll start discussing what we could potentially be having for dinner and where we should do the grocery shopping. And and he doesn't understand that. Mm. But it's how I've grown up. My family, we just talked about food on vacation all day. It's about where are you going to the market? What products are there? What could we do with them? Who's allowed to cook? Like we would fight to be in the kitchen. Nice. And um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm into food and flavor and spicing up my life. I was nice. into the Spice Girls, so <laughs> so all good things about all good you have things. good taste. Do you? I think so. <laughs> oh, very good. Don't, you don't get down on the Spice Girls now. No, no, no. Did you con them considered any after sport drink for Klabu? An after sport drink, like a form of a refreshment that's not, not a good alcohol, idea. alcohol based, like a cider maybe. Is this a bit of promotion? It's uh, a bit of a promotion, I'm afraid. But uh, are you doing an, a zero point zero oedipus? Well, well, well. I'm, I love 0.0. 0. 0. So we'll, se we'll send you home with someone. You can pitch it to the team. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. We could uh, definitely support some uh, refreshments. After what the... a great idea. We <laughs> need right, refreshing. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you, uh, you Charlotte. Thank you. It's been really, really Thank good. Thank you. But before we end the show, there is one final feature that Charlotte is aware <laughs> of this week and very excited about, right? I'm the so quiz. Excited. So excited. So we have the quiz uh, and this is the final part of the, of the show. And Victor, you have a copy of the answers in front of you right uh yes i have and I, I, it's a difficult one i'm afraid it's a difficult one so uh, like uh i'm just going to use mine here like i said at the beginning uh, off air charlotte is the quiz is always themed around the guest and i so i'm not really sure about your knowledge of football history however i think it would be a missed opportunity not to quiz you about football kits since this is something that Klabu is very much associated with as a big football fan myself, it would also maybe be a, a bit of a missed opportunity not, not to get some form of personal kick about this. 
So what I'm going to do is I'm going to name uh, an iconic kit and I'm going to give you two options and you have to select which was the right one. So I, I did judge that maybe you weren't a football fan or something. But Why? Because I'm a girl? No, because I think it would be a, an ignorant assumption just to think that because you were a girl. No, you're that, right. But I am like, a bit ignorant when I, it comes to football. I think, I th- I think it was maybe uh, I could have just ran away with this too much. So I thought maybe let's okay. give the guest a bit of a 50-50 opportunity. Well, we'll see if you've been nice or... All right. Okay. All right. Let's okay. Go for it. So, all right. Question number one. Uh, in 1995, Ajax won the Champions League. But in what colours did they win? Was it in red, or, <laughs> red and white, or was it in navy and maroon? Come on. You know what? Well, you, I mean, it's going to be navy and maroon then. Correct. Well Whoa. done. Which but, is the which is the sec- alternative kit for Ajax? Ajax I usually play that, in red and white. Yeah. Thank well you. Well done. Okay. Thank you for the leading question as well. No that problem. Was really pretty. <laughs> uh, question number two: The hand of God, which was famously done by Maradona, he was wearing what color kit? Was it blue or was it black? Black. That's incorrect. It was blue and white. Maradona representing Argentina. Classically play in blue and white. Uh, question. You gave num- me the hint with your own outfit today yeah and, oh, and no. blue is the color of freedom you oh it know, is the color of sky and freedom <laughs> yeah, sorry so hand of god sky everything sorry. was in there okay. okay all right question number three the dutch have a rich footballing history at international level they have played in many finals but only winning once in the 1998 european championships an obvious question would be uh what color kit did the netherlands team play in however what i want to know is what color were the opponents wearing was it blue or was it white it was white because it was Germany. Correct. Oh, well yeah. done. Whoa. Well That's done. Cool. So your knowledge is better than uh, better than you this thought. This is young. This is all Jan talking to me about football and me sucking up some of the stuff. All oh. right. So they're well done. Shout out to Jan. Uh, and okay. So my hometown team play in which colours? Is it blue and white or is it red and white? <laughs> I bet you didn't say the, the your hometown. No. Okay. My my hometown team of Sheffield Wednesday. Shout out to Sheffield. Playing which colours? Is it blue and white or is it red and white? I reckon blue and white. It is correct. Bit yeah. of a spoiler. I am wearing uh, the kit uh, today, so a bit of a spoiler there for Charlotte. Thank you. Okay, the winners of the last World Cup wore which colours? Was it yellow or was it blue? Oh, goodness. I think it was yellow. No. Incorrect. Victor is looking all offended. It was oh, France it was and they bleu. played in blue. Le bleu, le yes. Bleu. Allez, le bleu. Merde. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> On a gagné, on a gagné. <laughs> okay, he said he wasn't a football fan. <laughs> I know, suddenly he's getting all nationalistic on us. Okay, question number six, just to relate it back to uh, beer a little bit. The beer shower is a very popular thing if you were to win uh, the league in Germany. Uh, and Munich is well known for very, very good beer and very, very good football. So what colour kit do Bayern Munich wear? Is it red or is it green? Green. Incorrect. It is red, the colours of Bayern Munich. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, question number seven. Okay. Uh, just to, I don't know why I included this question because it's a bit of a heartache for me. So <laughs> England are well known for the penalty headache they've had at international level, famously being knocked out of the World Cup in 1996 by the German team. But which colour kit did England play in this match? Was it white or was it grey? Grey. Correct, it was wow. grey. So decisive wasn't that ingrained decisive. in my brain oh yes. i'm sorry even though that. i wasn't oh, i was born then but maybe maybe uh just tv has reminded me you inherited the pain yes yes, oh. yes definitely 
Okay, question number eight. In the World Cup final of 2006, Italy beat France on penalties. Sorry, Victor. Yeah, I know, I remember. That game is also famous for the Zinedine Zidane headbutt, but what colour shirt was Zidane wearing? Was it blue or was it white? Can you repeat the question? Okay, so yeah, in 2006, Italy beat France on penalties in the World Cup final. Yep. And the game is also very famous for Zinedine Zidane headbutting an Italian defender. I remember that. Yeah, so what colour shirt was Zidane wearing? So Zinedine Zidane played for France. Yes. And Italy wears blue and they were playing... No, they were wearing blue. The the World Cup is always in a neutral... It's always in a a different country. In a different country. But I think I remember Italy playing in blue and so that means France must have been not playing in blue because that's also their home colour. So their alternative... Outfit is white. Yes. You've used logic and you've got the right answer. Yes! Well done, Charlotte. Well done. <laughs> You're I'm really so skilled. Happy. Yeah, very, yeah. very good. And uh, question number nine. In 2019, it was the Women's World Cup, of course, and the Netherlands lost in the final 2 0. What colours did their opponents wear? Was it yellow or was it white? White. Correct. USA. Yeah, they, they were beaten by the USA. And I think. Decisively and pretty convincingly, right? Yeah, they did. Yeah, I remember watching that game. They were very good, good, uh, the States team. Yeah. All right, question number 10. Edison Arandes do Nascimento is the by name of a very famous footballer. But what colours did he play for at international level? Was it yellow or was it purple? Can you repeat just the name of the (laughs) the player? Yeah. Edson Arandes do Nascimento. Okay, that sounds either um, Argentinian or no Brazilian. It sounds Brazilian, and Brazil. So it's a Portuguese name. Portuguese name Brazil, I think, and I reckon he is it Pele, maybe. And I think Brazil plays. What color do they play? Oh God, is it? Um, oh, it's of course the Brazilian colors, which is like green and yellow and one other color. Is it green? Uh, so the answers I gave you were either yellow or purple. Oh, yellow. Correct. Again, <laughs> again, you've added good general logic to the question. You've got it right. And you were correct. It was Pele. Well done. Yes! All right. Well, congratulations. What? How many out of 10 did Charlotte uh, so get? This is the really good score, I think. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven I out of 10. I am beyond excited about that score. That was very well played. Yeah, Thank you. Very, very good. Oh, I can hold my head high, Clavier. Yeah, Thank and God. I, yeah, it was really. I, I love that you did, uh, yeah, logic. <laughs> like, no, but really, you didn't went with a full emotion first. Like, oh, I don't know, this is it. No, sort of didactical. Yeah, yeah and I must say, this is exactly what Rick Kempen did last week. He applied some oh. form of logic to it, and he was able to figure it out. Well, Unfortunately, you weren't as good as him. But to say that you, it looked a bit like you were like crawling into a ball when I said it was about football. You did really, really well. Uh, so, yeah, just to sum up in, in total, thank you very much for joining us. It's thank been an absolute you. pleasure you, having you around the table. Thanks for drinking a beer with us. And a special thanks to Victor again. Thank you, really Danny, good. for inviting me. And uh, see you all soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for yeah. having me and have Bye-bye. a great day. Bye. And thanks for listening to another episode of the Radio Oedipus podcast. It was a pleasure to be joined by Victor and Charlotte. A huge thank you to them. Discover more about the show by heading to the show notes. 
And to find out more about Radio Oedipus, head to our website, oedipus.com forward slash radio. Like I said at the top of the show, you can find us by searching Radio Oedipus on your podcast app. And we are now available on Apple Podcasts and also Spotify. So please like and subscribe. The music was written and composed by Ola Eye Music. And tune in next week for more explorations into the culture of beer. Thank you.